Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Hi, this is Dr. Camille, and welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. Um, Today, we're going to bring a new angle into the conversation that we've been having about how to create change in your life. I teach a class in negotiation skills, how to create win-win situations. It's based on a program called the Harvard Negotiation Project. It was founded by Roger Fisher and William Urey. And they've been called in to negotiate in all kinds of situations, in businesses and lawsuits, but even in major global conflicts all over the world, like in the Middle East, in revolutions, in wars, all kinds of things. And they've written a really fantastic series of books. I love them because each one is short, it's to the point, and it really gets to the heart of how to turn challenging situations into something positive. Their first book is called Getting to Yes. And if you find that one, um, you'll clue into the whole series. Uh, But the book in the series that I want to talk about today is called Getting to Yes with Yourself. And it was written by William Urey. Now, in the introduction, he mentions that he had been teaching this program and writing these books for 30 years. But then he realized that he needed to write this one and that it really was a prequel to all the others because you really can't create win-win out in the world until you've resolved conflict within yourself, until you know your own priorities and are clear on your own motivations. You can't get what you want if you don't know what you want. And this is right in line with what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. The whole conversation about knowing who you want to be at the end of your life so that you're clear about what to say yes to and what to say no to. To be so clear in that that it's automatic and happens for you right in the moment you need it. So we're going to talk about getting yes, getting to yes with yourself. Because we really negotiate with ourselves like a thousand times a day. Um, I know that this has been a real challenge for me. For many years, it was hard to create good habits for myself because if there was any kind of difficulty, any shortage of time and energy, the person I would take it away from was myself. And I was really conscious of this. I would even sometimes verbalize it to other people because when I break a commitment to myself, there isn't anyone that I have to be accountable to. There isn't anyone that I have to negotiate with about it. I just decide in the moment, okay, well, I'm not going to work out today, and it's easy. So if someone else needed something from me, I would just skip whatever it is. I would rush my meal. I would lose sleep. I could do whatever was needed or expected of me um, because it was easier to do that than to let them down. It was always easier to disappoint myself than someone else. It was easier to squash down my feelings of disappointment than to suffer what the other person might think. Um, Because I cared what they think, maybe more than I should have. Even if they didn't know I was making that sacrifice, even if they could have probably figured it out another way, even if just getting sleep was really the most important thing in that moment more than anything else, 
I had just become habituated to setting myself aside. It was something that I learned as a child. It was my coping mechanism within my family dynamic to set aside my own needs. And honestly, it's still something that I have to sort of be aware of and practice and that to some extent I struggle with to this day. So learning to say yes to myself has been something that I consciously need to do and to correct in myself and practice daily. Now, in this book, Yuri, uh, Yuri highlights six themes that he feels are key to understanding uh, about ourselves in order to have success in the world. So I want to talk about his themes, and I'm going to sprinkle some of my own stuff into it, and we're going to you know, get a mix of, of Yuri and Dr. Camille. So um, his first theme is to have empathy for yourself. Now, over and over, people sabotage themselves in ways that ultimately do not serve their own interest. We see this when someone has been hurt or slighted. They react to the hurt, and they just want to hurt the other person back. I feel pain, and I want you to understand the pain I'm feeling by feeling it too. But returning the hurt doesn't lead to empathy, and it certainly doesn't really lead to resolution. It leads to lawsuits and divorce and wars that last for years. It's a complete lose-lose mentality. So having empathy for yourself doesn't mean suppressing that hurt um, because that hurt's going to come out eventually. Um, instead of saying, I can deal with this in another way at another time so that I can still move forward, the best way forward is through. So having empathy for yourself means recognizing whatever the reaction is within yourself, pausing, taking a breath, and saying, what is it that I really want here? Do I really want to hurt this person back? Or would I rather accomplish my goals? Would I rather end up getting my, e my needs met? Maybe like moving on from this lawsuit or saving my marriage. And a key to recognizing that uh, that is is that we want to resolve conflict is that this whole situation is not a zero-sum game. A lot of times we approach situations to say that for me to win, the other person has to lose. And it isn't like that because the more we try to force our will on other people, the more we try to take away from them, the more we both end up losing. So one of the core principles of negotiation is to shift the dynamic from I win, you lose, to thinking as though that you're two, you're two people or a group trying to solve a problem together. People on both sides have needs, they both have feelings, and one of the first steps is to understand those needs and acknowledge those feelings. And you can't, again, expect others to understand and need your feelings unless you understand them this yourself. You have to have crystalline clarity about what it is you want. And we need to have this without self-judgment, without suppressing anything, without fear, uh, without feeling bad or wrong about what we're feeling. Um, von Goethe said, know, th know thyself, if I knew myself, I'd run away. So we need to have empathy for ourselves without judgment to be able to say, these are my feelings. And, um, 
and be able to work with that and be honest about it and even verbalize it. Um, we have to look on our own humanity with kindness and we can't escape our own temperament. A great example in the book is when Yuri was negotiating in a civil war that had been going on in Sumatra for about 25 years. In a meeting with the leaders of the rebel movement, he asked them what they really wanted. And he said, I know your position in this conflict. Your position is that you want independence. But tell me more about what your interests are. Why do you want independence? Well, there was this uncomfortable silence in the room because they actually struggled to answer this really fundamental question after 25 years. Thousands of people had died. So were they fighting chiefly for political reasons such as self-rule? Was it economic, such as control over their natural resources? Was it security, being able to defend themselves against a physical threat? Was it cultural? Was it the right to be educated in their own language and preserve their culture? Now, if they were fighting for more than one reason, what was their order of priority? So the truth, as it emerged, was that while they were crystal clear about their position, that they wanted independence, they really didn't have a good handle on what their deeper motivations were and what was making them fight for that independence. Their leaders had not really systematically articulated the underlying question why. So he wrote down the answers to the questions, self-rule, control over economic resources, all the things I just mentioned. And the next question was, well, what's the best strategy, strategy to serve those interests? Would it be to continue to, in this war? And the rebel leaders readily acknowledged that the government army was so strong that they probably wouldn't win the war even if they fought for another 10 years. So Yuri persuaded them to, to run for political office, and the rebel commanders became the governor and vice governor of that area. So they didn't hold the position of uh, independence, and they didn't gain that independence. But what they did gain was that they got to stop fighting, they got to stop dying in a war that really didn't actually advance their interests. And that's something common in our own lives. How often do we fight some kind of war at work or at home or even within ourselves? Wars that don't even advance our own interest. So the magic question here is, why do I want this? So often we take a position and we hold that position and we defend that position, sometimes for years and at very great cost, rather than really examine why we took that position in the first place. Now, Yuri discusses three strategies for having empathy for yourself. And first is what he calls going to the balcony. It means stepping outside yourself and watching yourself as though from a distance, seeing yourself objectively, taking that moment to watch your own reactions. Am I in fight or flight? Am I reacting to hurt? Am I even listening to the other person? Am I even considering their needs or views at all? And what is it that I'm reacting to? Is it something that's happening now? Or is it something that happened in the past? Is it something maybe 
that happened in the past between us, or maybe it's something in my own past that isn't even pertinent. So he talks about our reactions in stressful situations, something he calls the three A trap. So the um, the three A's, most people will attack. Um, they'll try to get the upper hand. They'll let those fight or flight hormones reign, or they'll accommodate. They'll give in to avoid conflict, giving away all their needs in the situation. They will avoid, run away, deflect, um, only to have the problem surface later. So um, avoid is the third one, sorry. Um, that was that was attack, accommodate, and avoid. So sometimes it can be a combination. Sometimes maybe, you know, we'll attack, we'll let loose with anger, and then we'll storm out of the house and never resolve the issue at all. And then it all comes up again. So his idea, what he calls going to the balcony, is that we stop and we recognize these patterns. So maybe within that, we look at ourselves and we say, maybe I'm reacting, you know, out of my wounded child. Maybe there's my inner critic that's judging the situation, like judging myself, judging my actions, judging how is it that I got into this situation and how did I let it get this bad and how did I let it go on so long? We can take the time to think about how we're reacting, why we're reacting, and how we really want to react. And this can completely turn the situation around. Now, it's not easy, and I'm not saying it is, especially when the patterns are deeply ingrained. So one of the things we can look at is to try to make a distinction by recognizing whether something is just a mood, whether it's an emotion, or whether it's our deep-seated temperament. So what's the difference? A mood is a passing feeling, like a driver on the road does something dangerous, but, but we're okay. But we feel irritated, maybe even angry at their recklessness, but then we go on. That's a mood. Now, say for example, on the other hand, our husband comes home angry at his boss, angry at his job, angry at his world, and we start to feel his anger every day before he even comes home. We start to feel the anticipation of it as the time approaches that he's due to arrive. The adrenaline surges, we feel anxious, there's a knot in our stomach, and nothing's even happened yet, but the anxiety and fear is real. And it's deeply ingrained because it's happening every day. Now that's an emotion that's more seated, deep-seated. Now, temperament gives us a reaction from an even deeper place. It's something imprinted on us as a child. It comes from deeply habituated family patterns, coping mechanisms that we learned as a child, feelings that we had as a child. And once that gets triggered, it takes us back to that age or even that moment when the pattern started. So we react to the current situation we're in with the same fears and anxieties that we felt when we were three or four or five years old. And we react to protect that child at all costs. And we can lose sight of the present moment and the present conversation, and we react from that temperament. 
So going to the balcony means stepping back and remembering, I am here in this present moment. How do I want to react now? And part of doing that is to practice finding that distance and that sense of calm when we aren't in the heat of the moment. That's where mindfulness practices, meditation, or even going for a walk can help. Clearing the mind on a regular basis so that it's easier to do in the moment when you need it. Yuri uses the analogy of water coming out in a strong surge into a glass from a faucet. At first, there are a lot of air bubbles and the water is cloudy, but even giving it a few moments allows the air bubbles to rise out to the surface and then the water becomes clear. And our emotions can be like that too. So if you're entering into a difficult situation, take a moment to be cle- to clear your mind, get clear on your goals, and keep yourself in the present. So we're going to take a break here, and we're going to be right back with some more of uh, getting to yes with yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice of America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Hi there. This is Healthy Wealthy You, and we're talking about the book by William Urey called Getting to Yes with Yourself. 
So we were talking about strategies for having empathy with yourself. And another one is to work on self-judgment, the inner critic, to allow your needs and feelings to come to the surface without negating yourself. It's, it's kind of the old saying, if we, if we talk to our friends the way we sometimes talk to ourselves, we might not have any friends. <laughs> So sometimes we need to just treat ourselves more kindly without judgment and to truly recognize ourselves for who we are. Because once we get the judgment out of the way and we get all that self-talk out of the way, with that comes self-understanding. We clear the way to look at who we really are without being defensive about it. We can recognize ourselves as human beings living in a body trying to get through life, and that everyone else is doing exactly the same thing. And that's where we can tie this into last week's discussion about Maslow and our hierarchy of needs, because all humans have the same needs. And when we can recognize this and accept it in ourselves, we can begin to recognize it in others, that we're all operating from the same core humanity. We want to survive, We want to have food and water and sleep. We want to feel safe. We want what's best for our families. We want recognition and approval. And we want to fulfill our life's purpose. So when we can go to the balcony and recognize in ourselves, then we have a chance of seeing these things in others. We find the compassion for our own needs, and that gives us compassion for others. So, um, we've talked about having empathy for yourself, understanding yourself and your core motivations. Um, Yuri's second theme is understanding your best alternative in a situation. Because knowing what we want doesn't magically give us what we want. We have to be realistic about the resources available. We have to be able to negotiate with the other person's differing needs. And sometimes it's the needs of many other people. So Yuri talks about negotiations that he was involved with, involved with um, between um, Soviet and American policy policymakers. Um, he talked about how the first part of every meeting started with a lot of accusations and hostility and blame. And it wasted a lot of time and it was hard to get the meeting back on track from that. So what they started to do is they they started putting in the calendar, they scheduled an early morning meeting before breakfast that was called mutual accusations. And of course, no one showed up for it, but people got the point. So blaming each other is a really big source of conflict. Um, we feel how we've been hurt, or slighted, or harmed, and we feel that something has been taken away from us. And that is increasingly true in a world that has become more challenging with more people, fewer resources, increasing complexity. After a while, we no longer have in our minds where the conflict started in our work, in our families, in our communities, In the case of global politics, sometimes the conflicts may have started before we were even born. Now, it's easy to blame the other person. If they are wrong, doesn't that make me right? And feeling innocent, 
Feeling right is a really good feeling. But every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And it's true in physics and it's true in relationships. Now, early on in a relationship, when we first meet a person, we are teaching them how it is acceptable to treat us. We teach them where our boundaries are, or we teach them that we have no boundaries at all. And once these patterns are set, especially if they become part of a bigger group, a family or a social dynamic, it's really hard to break. And this can be especially hard in conflicts between parents and children because the patterns may have been set before the child had a say in the matter or even realized what's happening. They may have a hard time breaking free from that patterning in a healthy way. Um, breaking free of that really is the essence of, of childhood rebellion, teenage rebellion, and some people do it a lot more successfully than others. So often we may lose touch with where a pattern started, and then it's all blame, blame, blame the other person, even though our actions may be the cause or at least reinforcement of their behavior. It goes both ways. So breaking the cycle is key because the blame serves, serves no one, and it just gets in the way. Now, I realize this is easier on a personal level, level than the bigger social context, especially when issues become systemic and the harm is deep and real and generational. But we'll, we'll have to talk about that another day. Um, it's big and it's important um, um, and we'll, we will give it its due. Now, on the interpersonal level, um, the blame can get in the way if we're um, focusing on right and wrong instead of focusing on outcome, instead of getting needs met and the emotion just gets in the way. We can start to dwell in victimhood instead of taking our power to transform the situation into the best available alternative, which is always the goal. You don't get what you want, but we just have to make the best. So instead of putting all the blame on the other person, we can take responsibility, or as Yuri cleverly puts it, response-ability. When we accept our own role in our own lives, in our choices, our faults, our failures, and also accept our strengths and our successes, we take back the power in our own lives. And with that, we can begin to interact with others in healthier and more productive ways. There's not a person in the world who does not have faults, who does not have regrets. And when we recognize and accept this in ourselves, we can recognize and accept it in others. Maya Angelou said, if you live, you will make mistakes. It is inevitable. But once you see your mistake, forgive yourself. If we hold on to the mistake, we can't see our own glory in the mirror because that mistake will be between our faces and that mirror. Now, I know also that infinite acceptance is not always possible, because obviously sometimes horrible, awful things happen to people, things that rightly elicit anger. And there's no way that I could speak to any one individual who has experienced the worst of humanity and say, don't blame. Like, for example, what we saw a few weeks ago in Memphis, 
I couldn't say to the mother of Tyree Nichols, who has to live with the knowledge that her son was beaten to death a few hundred or a hundred yards from her house. I can't say don't blame. But what I do know is that there are people in this world who found themselves in unspeakable tragedies and they turned it into good. There's Malala of Pakistan, who was shot in the head at the age of 15 and became such a powerful advocate for human rights that she won the Nobel Prize two years later at 17, the youngest person ever. There's President Theodore Roosevelt, whose mother and very beloved wife both died of different infectious diseases on Valentine's Day. On that day, he wrote a black X in his diary with one sentence, the light has gone out of my life. But he went on to become president and made it his mission to clean up unsanitary conditions in the cities and pass laws that still benefit us today. And there's Viktor Frankl, a concentration camp survivor, who wrote what may be one of the most important books ever written, Man's Search for Meaning. And the original title of that book was Saying Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. So these are people who managed to not let their tragedies destroy them. They managed to use them for the drive to good. So all I can say here is that I wish that for anyone who might find themselves in that kind of tragedy, may you find it in yourself to turn it into inspiration and create change. So the key to finding our best alternative is what we've said before, that if we fall down 10 times, we need to stand up 11. We need to take responsibility for our lives, no matter what. Once we accept that life does not make us any promises, that we cannot blame our parents, our spouse, our boss, or society for what happens next, everything changes. All we can do is create the best outcome from the choices available now. And once we have that within ourselves, we can open ourselves up in a completely different way with others. It's one of the hardest, but also one of the most rewarding things we can do to approach someone and say, what did I do that hurt you? How do you see me? That's what gives us the opening for change. That's what opens the door to working as a team to bring resolution to create win-win instead of continuing the zero-sum game of I win, you lose. Now, the next theme that's brought forth in Yuri's book is the idea of reframing our perspective. Do we intrinsically want to believe that the world is good or do we want to believe that it's bad? Do we want to believe that life is our ally or is it our enemy? So, Sometimes scarcity in life is real. The resources are finite. And sometimes looking at situations differently, coming up with creative solutions can expand the resources. There are so many ways to look at this. But again, it comes back to, 
are we solving the problem as a team or are we just fighting over scraps? If you want to raise and your boss says there's no money in the budget, well, maybe you could find ways to save the company money or expand its revenue. And you might not only get the raise you asked for, but you might get a promotion and an even bigger raise than you'd hoped for. If you and your spouse don't have enough time together, get together with another family that's having the same issue and trade spending the day with each other's kids so that you and your spouse can have the alone time you need. Don't just think about dividing the piece of pie. Try to get more pie. And always remember that love is an infinitely expandable resource. The more you give, the more you get. As Kobe Yamada said, love is like a balloon. The more you fill it up, more it wants to fly. So is life your ally? There's the saying, all's well that ends well. And maybe if it hasn't ended well, then maybe this is not the end. It's the reframing of what happens to us that makes all the difference. We can get discouraged or we can look for the opportunities the specks of gold in the dark clouds. We can ask ourselves, what am I supposed to learn from this? How can I find good in this, even when bad things happen? How can I change my actions so this is less likely to happen in the future? How can I stand up one more time? The fourth theme in our book is the idea of looking for opportunities in the present moment. If we go into a conflict and we're all wrapped up in our heads about how we feel and what we want to say, we miss the opportunities of the present moment. We miss the opportunities that the present moment can teach us. We miss the cues, the openings. We can even completely miss what's even being said. How often do you see that two people are arguing and they're not even having the same conversation? They're interrupting each other and not responding to what the other person just said because they weren't even listening. They were just running their own arguments in their head. And that's when going to the balcony is useful. Stop, listen, observe, reframe, because life is too short for endless conflict. We need to stop and say, who can do what that will make the change that's needed? We need to keep the end goal in mind. We need to be very clear about our needs and then listen to the needs of others and perhaps even help them to articulate their needs better if they're not clear on it. Because nobody gets what they want if they don't know what it is that they want. So it can be a lot about finding that sense of calm when you go to the balcony. It's about being both relaxed and alert at the same time, staying aware, staying calm. I was very aware of this myself in the last couple of weeks as I've been dealing with a really challenging situation involving a project that I've been working on for a long time and that's really hit some significant snags. And no matter how we've been trying to brainstorm it, we, we can't find a way. Um, we thought we had a breakthrough, then it didn't work, and we hit some more obstacles that slowed us down. Then those obstacles sometimes led us to a better solution, and it's just been really crazy. And honestly, we still haven't figured it out. 
But what I was really aware of in this last couple of weeks is that I do believe it's going to work out in the end. I do believe in a good outcome, even if it wasn't what I thought I looked like, what it was going to look like. And this is the key part. I was so aware of how my own thoughts, my own worries were the biggest problem in the situation that I just needed to be patient and let the situation run its course. And I still do. So the only situation that I was able to negotiate for that I was able to come up with is I negotiated for more time. And for right now, that's the best I can do. But once I got that, uh, it lifted all the stress away. It really did. So the idea of staying calm, staying in the present moment, looking for opportunities, looking for those valuable adjustments that might just make the situation better makes all the difference in the world. The next theme is a huge one, and it can be hard. It's called respect them even if. We may not always respect a person's behavior, even if we've been in conflict, um, especially if we've been in conflict and they've hurt us. Um, but we may just have to respect that they're human. There may be times that respect may be the last thing we want to give to the situation. It's the last thing we want to give to them. But it may be all we have. We need to recognize the other person's intrinsic humanity. And even if the best outcome in the situation is to walk away, it's important to do it with respect. Because whether remaining in the situation or leaving it, we want to maintain our own sense of integrity. We want to know that we did the best we could in the situation, that we gave the situation every chance. And that means giving the other person the very minimum that we should ever give. We should allow them their humanity. And sometimes that can turn it all around because just to acknowledge the other person, just to say, I know you have suffered too. I know this situation has been difficult for you too. I recognize that you did not get what you needed in the situation. That can make all the difference because when it comes right down to it, we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. Going back to Maslow, after we have food and safety, we want community, we want to be respected in that community. Wars have been started because someone felt disrespected or slighted. And sometimes just a tender moment at the right time sometimes might have changed history. So sometimes we get lost in that hurt and it's hard to respect the other person, but we know we can't let it go. Maybe it's your teenager and you've been fighting for a long time. We can't let we can't let our child go. We have to solve it. So we come back to those basic human needs. Your child wants to be seen, wants to be heard, wants to be understood, and so do you. So come back to those core needs. Sometimes it means not saying a word, um, but throwing your arms around your child and holding them tightly until the fight goes out of both of you because we all want the same things. We all just want love and respect and we want to be human. So we're going to take a break here and we're going to come right back for more of Healthy Wealthy You. Thank you. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Hi, this is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. And um, I hear we have a caller on the line. So I'd love to take that caller and find out what your thoughts are on what we've been talking about today and the last couple weeks about creating change. Hello there. Hi, Hi, Dr. Camille. I had a, I just wanted to say thank you for the last two episodes, especially because I think it's very easy to forget about uh, simplicity and happiness and bringing that into our everyday. <laughs> um, you know, when we're in the thick of things, it's very easy to forget. Um, I was wondering about intuition. Like, are we, are we born with intuition or is that something we develop over time? Uh, tell me more, tell me more about the context of your question about like, how is that question meaningful for you? Put, give me a little more information. Well, let's say I have, um, you know, well, okay, I'll give you an example of my friend. Um, she was supposed to go on the flight and the morning of the flight, she had a nagging feeling that, you know, 
she shouldn't board. And, you know, unfortunately, later she found out, you know, the plane had an issue and, um, you know, sort of things like that, I guess. Like, those nagging feelings or gut feelings that, um, you know, maybe they're not logical, but somehow our body <laughs> senses it. Right, right. Okay. So, so there are a few distinctions here. This is a super interesting question, and it actually does tie into what we have been talking about. Um, last week, I had mentioned about how we need human variation, that, that we have the strong people who could survive anything, and we have the, the really sensitive people. We see them as being weaker, but they really, are, they really are just a different kind of strength. They're the canary in the coal mine, if you will, that, you know, they're the ones that can tell us when things are wrong, tell us when there are things to stay away from. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we have the even super sensitive people who, you know, that there is something that defies logic. And, and yeah. you know, it, 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 like your friend, it, it happens all the time, you know. And I make it kind of a policy of life that I never disagree with reality. If it happens, then it's true, right? Mm-hmm. So, but to look, to look at this question of intuition, you know, I think, I think that there's a, there's really two sides of it and it's sort of a nature and a nurture thing. So the nature in the situation is that yes, we have really different kinds of people and people are all across the spectrum. You, you have those strong people and you have those sensitive people and the sensitivity is a strength and we need them because some people just are better at reading situations. They're better at visual cues. They're just naturally more observant. They're better at connecting the dots. So that's where intuition plays into a real situation, like to say, gee, I've got these two options, and my intuition says I'm going to go with option A and not with option B. And maybe there were a lot of subconscious things that we saw um, in the situation that you know, it, it didn't quite hit our conscious brain, but somehow we managed to evaluate that that option A was going to be the better option. Um, and so there there is a certain amount of, of nature to that. And it is biochemical and it is physiological. And there's no question that some people are just more sensitive to it. You know, they're just more aware that, you know, they're feeling that adrenaline. They're more aware that their heart's beating faster, that there's tightness in their chest, that something's really wrong. Or on the other side, some people are just more sensitive to the feeling that something's good, the knowledge that something's right. They just know. But there's also a certain amount of nurture to the situation. Um, and that is, is that, is that there are also people who just have more confidence in that intuition. They have more respect for their opinions, for their gut feelings. And sometimes, sometimes that is a result of things that happen to us at a very young age. Um, mm. the, the, we go through a certain 
um, curiosity about the world at the age of about two or three. That's when kids start asking why about everything. And and they're learning about the world, and it's really it's actually a really fun phase. They, why is the sky blue? Why do trees grow up instead of down? You know, it's actually a big relief for parents now that we have the internet. We actually can answer some of these questions, you know. But but this <laughs> this time is really this time of imprinting is really really important because what we teach kids at this age. They hold on to forever. And and I have watched sometimes in situations where parents kind of get frustrated with all the questions and I don't have time for it right now, you know. But ultimately, you know, we do we do want to encourage kids' curiosity because if they're told, you know, don't ask why, it's not important, I don't have time, if they're told that too many times, they start they start to not trust themselves. They start to not trust their own opinions. They, they, they're always kind of looking to other people's validation. They don't get a chance to learn their own structures about the world. So that's a really important thing. It's a really important time for parents to capture that that age of imprinting and i mean it it can change the whole course of lives like like there's a huge philosophy in parenting that at that that age you know you you want to you want to be able to think about what that person is like in the future like you want to give your 2-year-old chores like you want to have them wash their their sippy cup or fold their own clothes or something like that because they they're trying to imitate you they're trying to pattern themselves after you and they want to feel a part of things they want to feel a part of the family they want to feel included important and valued and when you give your two-year-old chores you end up with a five-year-old that already knows what to do and has a role in the family and it becomes a 30-year-old that becomes a very capable adult and you can't start teaching these things to kids when they're 18 years old. Um, you can't worry about like, oh, I never taught them how to do laundry and they're starting college next month. Like then it's a battle and it's a losing one. So yeah. what kids do, they want to imitate us and their actions teach them how to behave in the world. And sometimes they even pick up things that we don't want them to pick up, like things we said that they go repeat at school. Now, um, sometimes to bring this back to intuition, yes, people have innate sensitivity, um, some more than others, but where a person is able to cultivate their intuition and improve their intuition is to pay more attention to the physical signs the actual feeling that you have. Do I have a good feeling about this or do I have a bad feeling about this? And pay attention to those kinds of things um, and and to really honor and respect them without the need for external validation. And that's where a lot of people get themselves in trouble is, is you know, they're waiting for someone else to make the decision. They're waiting for someone else to tell you it's okay. And that's where playing devil's advocate can be really good. Like sometimes if I don't really, if I don't know what I want to do and, and I'm undecided about something, 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have someone f- try to firmly talk me into option A and I see how I react. Hmm. Did I like that? Did it feel good? Did it make sense? And then I have them firmly try to talk me into option B. And maybe it's someone else who does it. Maybe I tried this exercise just alone with myself. But by putting myself through that process, I can feel in my body which one feels better. I would call that maybe intuition or maybe that in some sense is a logical process. I don't know. What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts? No, actually, I like that idea of running both options and then really analyzing it. Um. You know, because I myself, I feel, you know, I do feel like when I, when I'm presented with um, a choice and I'm not, that I'm not sure about, and I have like my body sort of drawn to option A, for example, I know Mm -hmm. that's the path I have to take. It's just a very strange and an unusual feeling, I think, you know, that you, I don't know, I don't know if you can really explain it. But I'm really glad to hear your perspective on it. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. And keep on listening. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Camille. Take care. Good. Thank you. Take care. Well, we have just a little bit more time. So I just, I just, I'm going to really briefly talk about the last of our themes um, in in the book, because I do want to get to it. And it's the idea of giving and receiving. We look at the biggest picture possible, not just to create win-win, but win-win-win. We look at the full benefit to the whole family, the whole community, the whole business. Because especially now in this time, we're so connected globally. Um, the more we expand our scope, the more we the more we can get back. People can find us in incredible ways that were never available to us before. Opportunities start to find us. And you just never know when that special opportunity, when you're going to run into someone, when an opportunity drops in your email. Like for me, an opportunity just came into my email at a radio station, wrote to me and asked me if I wanted to do a podcast just because I was out there in the world doing the thing I'm passionate and the thing that I really love. So I hope you find that freedom within yourself. I hope today has been helpful and I look forward to talking to you again on Healthy Wealthy You. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.